Testing, testing. Still way too loud. Can get Jamie. Can you please come get Ellie? Okay, let's try this again. You're listening to The Neurodivergent Nurse, and I'm your host, Jamie. I'm a registered nurse who has ADHD. On this podcast, we will talk all things ADHD. I'm really just beginning to learn about this diagnosis and how to navigate through it, but I am so excited to take you on this messy and raw journey with me so that we can learn together. So let's get started. Hello, 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 my beautiful and wonderful neurodivergent friends. I hope that last week, if you celebrated anything, that it was a good celebration. Or even if you just took a second to pause, to look around, and find some things to be grateful or thankful for, that you had an abundance of things to choose from to celebrate that has happened in your life or that you were able to recognize the good things that are around you, even if they feel like they're in short supply. Today's episode is going to be a two-parter because I do want to take a couple minutes to sit and chat with you about some things before we get to the interview that I spent over two hours enjoying the company of my guest. And there's not a lot to edit out because I want you to be able to enjoy the conversation and all that Sam had to offer to us as well. First things first, on the last couple of episodes, I have been um, not the best Patreon supporter. I don't know what the right word is. Patreon host. Anyway, I need to give a shout out to three new members of the Patreon. Sarah Richardson. Thank you so much. Sia Gaz. Don't know if I said your name right. My last name is for show. No one ever says it wrong. So hopefully you'll have a little bit of grace if I pronounced it wrong. And And the Nursing Uncensored podcast also became a Patreon of the Neurodivergent Nurse. How awesome is that, guys? If you are a nurse or if you're a nursing school, I highly recommend that you go check out Nursing Uncensored podcast. She will bring so much light into your idea, into the world of nursing as you know it. And if you are a Patreon of the Neurodivergent Nurse, your postcards just went out sometime last week, a little after Thanksgiving. So if you haven't gotten them in the mail yet, you should have them pretty soon. Also, if you are a Patreon of the Neurodivergent Nurse podcast and I don't have your address, it doesn't matter what tier you're on. Be sure that you send me a message either on the Patreon account itself or you can do it via Instagram or at my email, theneurodivergentnurse at gmail.com, so that you can get future goodies. If you've been listening to any of the recent episodes over the last month, around mid-October, then you know that Nurses PodCon just passed, where I did a live episode, and let me tell you, that was a blast. So if you are a listener of the Neurodivergent Nurse, and you tuned in, Thank you so much. I hope you learned some amazing things that we had. Incredible, incredible, incredible podcast host. And it was really cool because there are multiple people who were there that I had gotten to know over the past three years through my other podcast, First Do No Harm, that is on the back burner for now. But I followed them. I talked to them. I listened to their podcast and getting to meet them face to face and getting to know them on a 
was simply amazing. So I hope that you guys join us next September of 2022. And while I'm giving shout outs to the new Patreon members and just all the incredible things to celebrate with the Neurodivergent Nurse Podcast, I want to read a review that I just recently read. I'm going to read you one that I just got or read last night when I was in the middle of painting and winding down after a physics test that I don't know that I did great on. Anyway, I decided to check Chartable, which gives me information of where I rank in every single country, and it tells me all the new reviews that the Neurodivergent Nurse has received. And this one was submitted on 11-28 of this year, 2021, and it said, I'm a nurse, and my husband who has ADHD is currently going through nursing school. We also have at least one of our four boys who has ADHD. I'm loving this podcast. It helps me to understand them and also my nursing students at the university where I teach. I recommend your podcast, and sometimes we listen to you in class. Keep up the good work. I can't tell you how honored I am that a teacher, a professor, actually plays this podcast at a university for their nursing students. This is so phenomenal. So again, I just want to say thank you to everyone who has subscribed, everyone who they take part in the Patreon, everyone who's left a review, a five-star and a message. If you haven't done that, go ahead and do it now. I, I love them. I can't tell you how much it brings joy to my life. It takes two minutes. Now we're going to hop into this week's episode. Again, this is going to be a two-parter, so I hope you have a great time listening and you really have a lot of hope that comes from listening to Sam's story and the encouragement that he has to offer to all of us, me included. On today's episode of The Neurodivergent Nurse, I have an amazing guest you guys are going to love. His name is Sam. He's from Santa Barbara, California. He's doing big things. Sam, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Yes. Thank you for having me on the show. I love your program and the service that you're doing for people that really need to, to see their light and you're kind of shining the light. Say, hey, you're bright and you're wonderful. You. So I'm a transformational coach and um, I'm in Santa Barbara, California. And also a neurodiverse person, not like I have it. Uh, I'm not a card carrying member, but I am <laughs> fellow ADHD, ADHD or in, in crime. And I'm soon to release a book called Fearless, which is about my journey, but something that happened to me that I'm not going to mention because it's, I don't want to give away the book yet, about 20 years ago. And it's led me down this interesting journey, really discovering and understanding how mind really works, not what well-meaning physicians Nurses, no offense. Psychiatrists, doctors have told us that have conditioned us to believe how mind works, that we have it completely backwards, which I'll we'll share later. And and it's helped me really kind of see that that there's nothing for me to fix within me. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with me. It's just how our brains work. And and once I've kind of started loving my brain for what it is, it's been a game changer that I can drop in and out of this sped up, you know, Ferrari kind of speedy brain that, that at times has 20 YouTube windows open at once. And it doesn't know where to start and is 
grabbing for straws, you know, not knowing with no organization and it's all over the place. But then I drop out and I'm present and I'm Sam. I'm not the Tasmanian devil. <laughs> can't sit still and, and, and can't focus. So it's that I'm not attention deficit and I'm not overstimulated all the time. I'm attention different. I think I like that. And we have to harness in learning how to harness it without doing anything by really seeing who we really are underneath all that neural gobbledygook. Sometimes it gets lost in the ethers of, of our ADHD mind. It's a game changer. So I also have a podcast um, called uh, the fearless now that it's a labor of love that you're going to be on mine hopefully soon. And we talk about neurodiversity. We I have other coaches and physicians and writers and the people that share this understanding that we'll talk about briefly. And it's, it's been wonderful. And I'm just blessed that, that I'm on this program today and, and I can share, share my message. Yeah. So. so let me ask you with your podcast, what has been your favorite episode that you've recorded? Uh, this is a tough question oh, that I asked to yeah, a lot of no. podcasters on. Oh my goodness. Oh, wow. Huh? You stopped me there. Okay, <laughs> let me think. You can hum the theme of Jeopardy now. There was, a, I had a guest on who's another coach in New Zealand. Her name is Siobhan. And she said something so powerful, so powerful. And, there's a, and she, this is one of my favorite podcast episodes. A couple episodes back, she said, when we are caught up around the axle, when we are in a low mood, the content of our low mood of all this overwhelmed thinking and for people like you and I, it's 10 times more intense, and loud, at least where I'm sitting. The content of your thinking is complete BS, nonsense, means nothing. It's just telling you that you're off center and you're farther away from your well-being, from your calm, from who you really are, not the noise. And just to let go of the controls and let it settle. And she said it in a way, and, and she's, she's British, so I love the British. I love the British. They just sound so much better than us Americans. They all sound like they're, they can, you know, all write poetry and, and, and just great speakers. She, she said it in such a way that was so heartfelt. It's just like, oh my God. And then, then I, cause I was overthinking that statement, what she said, and it was so powerful. And there's one more episode that I truly loved. And it was with a gentleman named Simon Mundy, who's a BBC, he's a broadcaster on BBC two. I think it's BBC one. Again, I love the British. I don't mm -hmm. know why. And, and he's a, a sports commentator for Wimbledon for tennis, US Open and Wimbledon, et cetera. And he sees the divinity with, within himself, within his family, within sport, when we are tapped in to that state of flow where time speeds up and slows down. Like when you're at work, right? And you're just working with a patient and you, there's a connection there and you're so present with them, mm -hmm. right? It's just, it's, it's magic. That's, That's beautiful. Thank you. So how long ago did you start your podcast? How long have you been doing it? It's been a, about a year, actually. And so we're at episode 45, going in 46. And I was stopped. I stopped, started it because I forgot to do it. I forgot to do it because I love doing, I love podcasting so much. If I could do it for a living full time, heck yeah. But I love I, it, I, but I hate editing it. Oh, you, you edit it too? I can't do it. I can't edit because I, I get too, you know, I get... I can't sit that still that long, mm -hmm. overstimulated. And then I'll, figure, I'll forget to edit something, right? I tried it once and it, it was just disastrous. I know a guy that does it. I pay a guy to do it. It's, it's expensive, but it's worth it. You do all the editing, really? All of it. Yeah. Wow. It's all a, a one girl show over here. How, I mean, how long does it take you? Because It takes uh, quite a while. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. 
Wow. Good for you. I had a podcast that I started three years ago that uh, was the name of the first do no harm. And I could not do that consistently, but it was more about social justice and Mm. people being kind to one another type of thing. And it never really took off, but I loved it. I loved interviewing like the trans man. I loved interviewing people of color who got to tell their story and the difficulties. And, but it was just, it was too much. But like you said, I love the interviews. I love the creative process. Did I tell you, I don't know if I mentioned this to you. My favorite color is purple too. For a dude to have, it was, it was purple. I have to say it's blue too, but purple was like, since I was a little kid, I amethyst because I have, where is it? Well, I think it's in the other room, but yeah. And I know that for a dude to like purple is kind of weird, but anyway, sorry. Yeah. So, so, well, I can see that being wonderful, but you still have those episodes, right? They're still like, listen, I got to definitely listen, but I think you blend that into your, into your show. I think, I think there are elements of that. Yeah. Cause I listen to your episodes. You blend, there's a, there's a little bit of, of a little bit of social justice, a little bit of being kind to others in it. So I think you're, you got it there. Thanks. What yeah. made you want to start your podcast? Well, I was, I initially was on the fence about it because of the, the, the nature of my book, there's some sense of pieces in it. And I was wanting to launch it in tandem with the book that was supposed to be launched. I was going to hire a PR firm to help with pre-launch. And then I said to him, I wasn't ready to launch it. And the book is, is ready. It's just, we're waiting for our editor to do some more prescriptive edits and sent to a publisher. Uh, we're self-publishing and we got this uh, PR firm is terrific based out of Austin, Texas, that really believes in it too, which is helpful. I just like one day woke up and said, you know what? I know everyone and their mother is doing a podcast, right? There's like millions of podcasts out there, but what I have to offer is a little bit different. Yes. There are a million, I'm sure podcasts on neurodiversity, ADHD, obviously, but no one really shares this understanding that I share with my clients and, and that I walk the walk and talk to talk with, which is, you know, the three principles um, as a transformational coach. And so the pot just organically just popped up and I'm like, okay, my favorite Pink Floyd song is Fearless. You know, the song Fearless, one of my favorite songs of all time. And if you listen to the lyrics, I'm not going to sing it, but if you, y'all got to look at the lyrics and you'll see what I'm pointing to. And then that's where I got the name of my book, Fearless. And then the fearless now popped up. Awesome. Now, how long ago was it when you decided that you wanted to write a book? Like how long has this process been? Great question. It's, it's actually been ongoing for over 10 years. Again, stop, start the the wonders of our, of the ADHD mind. And I I remember, you know, I I was just going to put it down, never finish it. And I was watching one of my uh, mentors, George Pransky, who's, who's a psychologist that now shares the understanding. He's one of the elders. He's been doing this for over 45 years. And he's listening to an interview with him and another psychologist who's now turned coach. And they were talking about, they had a client that was stuck writing their memoirs, their book. And this was a well-known author. It wasn't just Joe Schmo here, Sam. I'm just Joe Schmo. This was like a famous author. And he had writers, he just, writer's block. And we all know writer's block is just a lot of thinking on board. It's insecure thinking. It's all thought, right? That we're creating. It's all made up, but it feels real because we feel our thinking. And, he, and George looked at the guy who's telling this story. George looked at his client who had this writer's block, this famous author, right? The author was stuck on the same chapter. I think he was stuck on chapter seven, right? And George Pransky, George looks at the, his, his client and says, 
you know, maybe you're just not a good judge of how long it's going to take to finish this book. Not like, let's work on the writer's book. You know, tell me when this began, you know, let's do these exercises. And what happened for this client is that he began to see what was going on. Because when we are caught up in, especially someone with like, with our neurotype that we get caught up all the time and the noise is really loud. We don't see the forest from the trees when we're, when we're caught up in our thinking, whether you're a Nobel Prize laureate or you're this author or you're just Sam or, or Joe Schmo, you know, we're all human, but he was so caught up in wanting to finish it by a certain time and all these deadlines. And, and instead of seeing like, oh, I'm just not going to get it finished and it, it's either meant to be, or it's not meant to be. And they're either going to, the publisher is going to either understand my literary agent's going to either understand or not. It'll be finished when it needs to be finished, when, when I'm done with it. We put so much pressure on ourselves to a time frame, a pressure, because we think that that actually matters. It really doesn't. I'm sure people are listening to this and saying, well, you know, in the real world, when you're making it, you may have to make a living. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, sometimes. But if you follow your own inner GPS and you stay present as much as you can, the deadlines as a nurse, you know, you're on it. Lives are in, I don't mean to make you more anxious, but lives are, are in your hand. You can change the way you're looking at that by saying, you know, it's maybe, it's not like pressure. It's just part of what I do and I'm good at it. And maybe ADHD doesn't pop its ugly head up sometimes when I'm doing it. And maybe it does, you know, I call it the ADHD cha-cha. It just shows up. So like, where did that happen? What, wait, 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 whoa, brain, chill, chill out, slow down, you know? How much do you think that perfectionism has to do has to do because I for the last year or so I, I picked up painting and so I started creating things and people would buy it and I would do some commissions here and there and oh. my anxiety went through the roof when people would say hey can you do this for me and I could but it took about eight times longer I'm like I wish somebody could just see the finished product and say I yeah. want that or I don't but when you know that it's dependent on when you feel like everything has to be on for people to receive it the way that you want it to be received. Mm -hmm. And so that people are pleased with the result of it. How much has that interfered with getting this book? 100%. <laughs> and and I, I really relate to that. I think a lot of people, even neurotypicals, not neurotypical folks out there, but more so neurodiverse folks, because perfectionism is a compensatory mechanism, right? Because again, we go through very, very loud and, you know, sensory, because for me, it's more, it's more like I'm feeling it, right? The pressure I'm actually feeling, it's a um, somatic experience for me. And we do feel our thinking. I think for the neurotypicals, it's not as much, but for us, it's 10 times as much. Because then we start going to this like cycle, vicious cycle of, you know, feeling self-pity and like feeling we're broken. Like the, another example, and that's a great example you just mentioned, is the fact that missing out on stuff. Like if I didn't get, if I got the book done two years ago, maybe Simon and Schuster would have knocked on my door when I wrote, cause I had a proposal. What if I did, you know, the timing's off, you know, I can't get it right with the timing. Maybe if I did it, if I launched the book before the pandemic, I would have a better chance of getting a, a great literary agent. It wouldn't have to sell. Like those are the things going in my mm -hmm. head. But when you look at divine timing, that's how it really works. Then you can take your hands off of the stick of the aircraft and just put it on autopilot. Because do we do our best work, in, not in the noise, but when we're... Do you think a lot of people who have ADHD 
because I haven't, there's so much that I've researched and there's so much that I have dove into with other people Mm. who have neurodivergent brains and similar to what you're saying, when things aren't, I, I give myself so much grief when things aren't done by the timeline that I put or the timeline that society places on me in general. And I feel like such a failure or whatever. Mm. I always land on my feet. And when things actually are complete and the good that comes from that, I feel very confident and positive that I am where I'm meant to be. And, and the reflection and looking back, I'm glad that I didn't meet those timelines or I'm glad that medical school got pushed off by a couple of years. I got to enjoy in the process of it that I wouldn't have otherwise. Do you think other people with ADHD recognize that too, once they have finished that task? Great question. I really think it has to do with self-awareness. And we're all at different stages of self-awareness and also locus of control. Because tomorrow I could wake up and be right back at square one with what you're sharing. That's mm-hmm. how the ADHD brain works. It's like we have amnesia. We have like we have a goldfish, a goldfish mind because our brain works so fast. I can wake up tomorrow morning and be like, oh my God, I'm never going to get this book exactly what you're sharing. And then all of a sudden my thinking will settle. I have all these dark thoughts about, you know. This is going to be the, like, remember the movie, The Never Ending Story? I love okay. that movie. I love that movie. Too. What was that forest they were in? The, the forest, they, they, remember he gets, he gets stuck in this like dark, gloomy, like forest of misery or something like that. That's me in the morning. I'm a terrible, I'm not a morning person. Me neither. Oh my God. This is scary. <laughs> it's like, can we just skip morning? The audience will probably know what the forest, what I'm talking about. It's like that forest where he's stuck and like, it's depressing. It's like depressing. Anyways, I don't remember the names long time ago but that's what it feels like innocently y'all if you like the show please consider joining the neurodivergent nurse podcast patreon it shows how much you care and it allows me to continue to produce these episodes week after week plus you get some awesome bonus episodes and some pretty great fan mail from time to time as a thank you and please please rate and review. The more reviews, the more attention, and that increases the likelihood that other people who struggle with neurodivergency will be reached. If you're interested in joining the Patreon, go to patreon.com slash the neurodivergent nurse. But once you see what the brain's doing, that it's not you, that it means 100% baloney, BS. Mm-hmm. That you're just caught up. It's it's so much. It's it's like oh brain. I see what you're doing. Okay. How do you bring yourself back to that center when you when you get in uh, that dark forest? How do you start seeing the little sparks of of light shining through the trees? Well, sometimes you need the dark forest to see the light. I know that's <laughs> plain word. The understanding that I share the three principles is that we have this inner wisdom within us, this inner inner intelligence that's guiding us through this river of life. Right. That that it's an inside out process that nothing outside of us is causing us to feel anything, our circumstances, nothing. Because of that, poor people and, and living, you know, home, homeless people ha- are happy and smile and have good days. How do you explain that if they're homeless? People that have terminal cancer still have good days, are laughing. My uncle just passed away a month and a half ago and he's, he was calm and, and okay until, you know, last day or two. Okay, I forgot, <laughs> ask me the question again. I just complete ADHD moment there. What was it? 
Sorry. How do you get <laughs> centered? Because you're talking about the dark forest and it's like Thank that you. depressive place, yeah. even though you I, aren't specifically talking about being depressed, but just like, oh, nothing's going to get accomplished. Yeah. How do you center yourself to get back on track? By not trying to force it. And, and I know that sounds idealistic to many folks that are caught up in the ADHD labyrinth, which I call it. It's like the movie, The Shining, when he gets lost in it, he dies in it. What's his name? Jack Nicholson. So being self-aware and seeing, being curious what the brain's doing. Brain, what are you doing right now? Why are, you go- why are we going dark? Why are we going zero dark 30 on me? You know, being self-introspect, getting really curious, just like, why? Like what part of 7.30 in the morning is so bad? Like they- Because it's kind of like the brain is kind of like a record player. It just, it just skipped to song three. You wanted song one. It should be on song one, right? So when you get introspective like that, even when you feel really depressed and cloudy, like, you know, an overcast day in the middle of winter, I couldn't live in the Midwest. I'm a spoiled Californian. <laughs> Once you start doing that and you get curious about how this mind is working. And when you see that it has absolutely nothing to do with the book or, or whatever your brain is pointing to in the moment that we have agency over it, right? That our brain needs to find a fall guy, the book or whatever it is, the weather, in order to justify in a split second, it has to find a concrete reason why this is happening. The brain compartmentalizes, the brain criticizes, the brain labels. That's what a brain does. The brain loves you. It's going to bounce around and you know, create all kinds of boxes, but the brain doesn't know. The brain is stupid. The brain is brilliant and stupid is our MacBook Pro or, or iOS, or I, I like Android phones better. It's only as good as the person behind the keyboard. The brain is a machine. That's all it is, ladies and gentlemen. So I was able to kind of, through learning this understanding and working with coaches and, and working with clients and really understanding how mind works, which is when we go dark, it means absolutely nothing. Brain's glitch. All of a sudden, it's a skip to song three, and it's pulling memories from 20 years ago, packaging it up, and we're back in trauma, and it's throwing it at you, and you're like, what the heck is going on? When you see that more, and you see that, that it's all made up, it's illusory, and then if you can wait an hour, walk around the block, sip some coffee, splash some water on your face. For me, sometimes I'll take my medication, I'll go outside, I'll breathe in fresh air. That's why I work out every day, because I have to, and then it settles, and then I'm back to Sam. Like- I'm sure that's happened to you too. You're back to Jamie. I'm like, oh my God, I'm now this brilliant neurodiverse nurse who's taken up painting and I'm getting all these commissions and, you know, life is fine, but then it isn't again because we forget and then we remember again and then we forget. And that happens in neurotypical folks too. It happens in, the brain is not there. It doesn't want to hurt you. The brain just thinks that thought is going to keep you alive. And the reason, and I'm getting into this because I think it's a good way to explain this because it's hard to language this because- some of it is a little woo-woo. It's, it's a little bit that we are spiritual beings in this physical body, in this meat jacket. But when you think about it, that the brain is a computer doing its best to keep you alive, but we're also dealing with a brain that is very old. We're dealing with old equipment. And that's why we misuse the equipment sometimes. Because like we that. think, well, I didn't, it's, I'm stealing that from another coach. So <laughs> he gets residuals and he knows he, who he is. We all do. I mean, it's it, because of that, knowing that we, the brain hasn't really had a software update since like, you know, the Paleolithic era. I don't know. Way back, I love that word, by the way. Way back tens of thousands of years ago, when we were cavemen, it was more of a stimulus response kind of environment, right? We, we would go hunt and gather, procreate, 
protect our tribe and repeat. There wasn't social media in the stock market and, and taxes and, and cars and telemetry and what you do, you know, and, and EKGs. And it was really basic, but the brain really hasn't grown up that much. So we're dealing with old equipment. So when you see that the brain can't tell the difference between a saber-toothed tiger and overdue bills, you kind of feel bad for it. But you forget sometimes we all get caught up and we all take the bait. Like that's why people that innocently get caught up in that darkness that I just described Mm -hmm. and everybody does sometimes when they get caught up too much and they start believing it, it becomes habituated. And you know, this as, as being an expert in the brain and all that is that we're, we're creating new neural patterns of darkness. (laughs) We're, we're back. We're in the dark forest because brain again is stupid. No offense to brain. I'm sorry. I'm saying that, but it's stupid. It's, it's, it's like your car. And sometimes the check engine light goes on in your car most of the time, there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah, you maybe have to take it in for service. Maybe at three months from now, you put a sticker, you know, black duct tape over the check engine light and you keep driving. Same thing with the brain. You know when to slow down. If we don't pay attention to the brain telling you that you're off center, that the content of their thinking when, you're, when you've gone dark is not to be, then you, you've really figured out how mind works. And when that happens, it's so amazing. It saved my life. It's changed my life. Sorry, that was a long one. No, I, I love it. When do you anticipate? Do you have a time that you anticipate that the book will come out? Year time frame or? <laughs> Jamie, you're putting me on the spot here. The, the book is slated again. It's not written in stone because it's fluid uh, to come out in April. But I said, you no, know, the pandemic put a damper on things. Mm-hmm. We found a great PR person, a PR, not a person, an agency. And right now we're just doing some final prescriptive edits. The book is, it's intense. And it's also hopefully going to be a beacon for a lot of those lost folks out there. They think they're lost, but they're not really lost. I'm going to put you, I'm really going to put you on the spot now. Record it. So everyone as my witness, once, whenever it comes out, when that may be, and it's out for a little bit of time, I would love to have you come back on because then you can really talk more about it and how people have responded to it and all of that stuff. So would you be willing to do that once it gets published? 100%. And all right. Everybody heard it. Move back. Yes, because it's, it's something that it's the, the first half of the book is pretty intense and painful, but the second half of the book, there's some brilliant teaching tools in it that I share this understanding and how, how it looks at from the lens of a neurodiverse person and, you know, growing up with this, with having, you know, ADHD for me, I wasn't diagnosed until 20, 22 years ago, but I was misdiagnosed 10 or 11 times. And, and it was first, it was a learning disability, visual motor, this or something with, I can't, I don't still don't know what it is. And that's 30 plus years ago. You know, my childhood was, you know, I had great parents. Thank I'm very, feel very blessed to have supportive family, but being in school and learning was not a lot of fun. A lot of the time. Yeah. I can understand that. I loved school but uh, I did nur- too. That's why it was so frustrating. <laughs> yeah. In yeah. nursing school, I just felt like I was the dumbest person. Once I, I had like a couple associate's degrees before I ever got a degree in nursing and it was just, it was awful. Anyway, I, I was like, I just, people told me that I wasn't going to be able to do it. Even nursing instructors, they couldn't teach me to critically think. And it was wild. Yeah. And I can relate to that because it wasn't nursing, but it was grad school. Mm-hmm. It was all these PhDs, God bless their heart. Most of them went well. It's not their fault that they're, they're taught 
how it all works backwards. And what I mean by backwards is, is the outside out um, understanding versus it really works inside out, not outside. I'm sorry, inside out, not outside in. And because of that, in many respects, and they don't, they didn't do it on purpose. They, they mean, well, it did more harm than good. Mm-hmm. The school psychologists, all these, the Wechsler tests and the, all these different, you know what I'm talking, the whisker too. This is early eighties. I was a little kid. I felt so, I felt broken and so ashamed to be my, to be me in school and so angry because I was, I was excelling in writing the creative stuff. Right. And I loved doing this, but back then I was a little kid. I loved, you know, I always wanted to be a DJ, you know, like the, the next, next Howard Stern, but not as vulgar and, you know, just to be on the radio. I've always wanted to do that, but my weaknesses were so weak that I'm like, leave me alone. Like, I don't care if you flunk me in fourth grade because I can't read scholastic news as quick as you want me to or reading, mm-hmm. right? I don't care if, if I can't do math as well as the next person. Flunk me then. They wanted to hold me back. And I'm looking at them. I said, bring it then. I'll do whatever you want. You know what? If you think that, if you really think that that's going to help me excel in the, in the real world, you know, I didn't say this, but my parents were like, you're not holding him back. It didn't make sense to me because I was polite. I had friends. I, I socialized well. My strengths were really strong. My weaknesses were really weak. But I also got tons of detentions because I couldn't sit still. And I would rate, you know, I'd be impulsive. And I looked at them. I said, one time I said, and this is terrible. I was like nine years old. I said, you know, the reason why I can't sit still, this is terrible, is because I'm bored. This is not interesting. The way you're teaching this is not interactive enough. I have to ask permission to get a bathroom pass. What do you think I'm going to do? run across the street and like rob a bank. I'm nine years old. I want to go to the bathroom. Leave me alone. What do you think? I'm going to get lost. I mean, what's the problem? What's the frequency, Kenneth? I mean, these are the kind as a nine-year-old, this is what I was thinking. And then we got into high school. It's the same thing, but I had some more compassionate teachers that saw my light, that saw Sam underneath the noise. And that was the turning point. Really. That was the gift of having a teacher that was compassionate, but also saw my light despite all the, difficulties I had with one part of my brain and, and one part of, 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 of learning and processing. And to be honest with you, I don't use any of it. All those, all the hard stuff that I couldn't do, you know, I've either learned how to compensate for it or I don't use it. A teacher that I know was talking about when they were teaching in a classroom and someone who came in and they were doing the monitoring or whatever they're supposed to do had some advice after they watched how the class went. And she said, instead of telling the kids no, when he says, does anyone know, you know, the answer to this? And, and they'll say, is it such and such? And he'll say no. And then he'll move on to the next person. She said, you need to get the other students to explain to them how to get the right, how to come to the right answer. And I was thinking I would have been so done. I would not have ever wanted to go back (laughs) to class. If not only I was wrong, but then all of my peers knew how to get to the correct answer. And then they, I don't know, I'm such a comparison type of person with myself and everyone else. And it does so much more damage than good. And and for me, that's exactly, I, I, I had the same issues too. And I remember middle school, I got so angry, not angry, like literally been in my head. I just got so angry how I always felt stupid, mm-hmm. especially in math, but, you know, the other stuff, history and social studies and creative writing and English. I was a rock star, you know, I was, in, I was an advanced placement in English in high school, but yet I could barely do math. 
How do you explain that the perception back at the time, I mean, back then, in, especially when I was a little kid in the early 80s, ADD, ADHD, basically they were throwing medication at a, at a wall. Like, like if this works, okay, great, it works. Okay, if you're having side effects, it's the wrong one, right? If your kid is all, all of a sudden really depressed because of the psychostimulant is doing something, it, they didn't know what to do. Like they were just throwing you know, darts at a board, at, at the wall, hopefully it would stick. You know, then we had the development of MRIs and see how the brain works and, and neuroimaging, but even neuroimaging is half the equation because it's more than that. But once I saw, and I wish I had this understanding under my belt, the three principles that I share in my book and I share with my clients and we've talked about briefly, it would have saved me a lot of grief. Thankfully, and I, I remember my, my beloved girlfriend dragging me, kicking and screaming to some of these seminars. There was one down in Marina Del Rey and, and there was a couple out in Santa Monica. And this understanding has been around for about 50 years. And but all, this, all the sages, all the great sages have shared this understanding. It's not new. It's just been language different, right? Buddha talks about this. Jesus talks about this. Name your, you know, your MVP, your all-star sage, your prophet. And even aspects of the Est movement in the 70s shared some of this. But we knew all along, even thousands of years ago, how mind really works. But what happens is you know, conditioning. And again, society was created, A, to control the masses in many respects innocently sometimes and not innocently. Also, the way laws are formed, the way things are created top down, it's easier to say, well, it was that person or it was that thing that caused this versus maybe it's the state of mind they were in at the time. Because the quality of our thinking when it's cloudy, you know, it's kind of like driving within the fog, right? With the foggy windshield at the same time, you can't Mm -hmm. see straight. And that happens to us all the time. We wake up in a bad mood. And for ADHD years, it's times 10. We don't know why. Our brain likes to blame it on somebody, something or somebody. We don't get enough sleep and then we're cranky all day. We're, we are cranky, but then we're in a bad mood and then we'll like get into an argument with a coworker or we'll just, but we think it's someone else causing us to feel that way. And that's what all of us have been conditioned to believe is true, but it isn't. And we all know it is deep inside of us. And that's where this understanding is such a game changer for me. And, and without it, it would have been... I would have just been miserable. Misery is really an option in life. And once you see that all of you listening right now have this kind of blue dot of well-being within you, or purple, sorry, <laughs> that, that we have this North Star, we have this essential nature, which is underneath the noise, is good, is loving, is compassionate, is resilient, is hopeful. That's who we really are. And if you think about in history, and one of my favorite writers that talks about resilience and against all odds is Viktor Frankl, which I'm sure you've read. You know, oh, you need to get it tomorrow. Go on Amazon right now. What it's is it? Man's Search for Meaning. And okay. It's, it's probably the best personal development book that's ever come out. It's about Viktor Frankl, who's a psychiatrist who survived Auschwitz and, and the Holocaust. Mm. And the reason why he's, he, was, he survived it, he passed away a couple of years ago. He was like 97, he was an old guy. He claimed that the reason why he survived it is because he found meaning in every minute every second, every hour of every day. And he had compassion as hard as this sounds, because we have a lot of judgment and thinking around how we should think about people that are systematically trying to murder us, right? It's very natural to want to kill them too, or to run away, fight or flight. But when he got really present amidst all this misery, murder, disease, you name it, lack of food, seeing his fellow inmates dying around him, seeing the Nazi prison guards beating someone to death, he had compassion for the prison guards, he saw their essential nature, that they were good underneath, underneath all the homicidal thinking. And as hard as that is to hear, we drop into that moment that 
And we call it presence. You can call like Eckhart Tolle calls it the now, the power of now. This is not new stuff. In fact, this understanding is how the system really works. It's already on board us. We just are looking at it differently. We're looking at it the wrong way, very innocently, because the brain is a very powerful machine that makes us believe things that are not necessarily true innocently. And so Viktor Frankl pointed to what I'm pointing to and what all the, the great teachers have pointed to, that, that we do have this, this, this well-being within us that we drop into every single day, that we're like, we're in a walking meditation every day. We just don't pay attention to it enough, that we're one thought away from mental health. We're just not paying attention. That reminds me, but it's more of instead of the inward reflection and realization, have you read much by Malcolm Gladwell? Oh, yeah. I, I love Malcolm Gladwell. What a phenomenal human being. He is yeah. a person that not only do I have times where it, it goes to a dark place of, you know, not being good enough for whatever reason. And when you look around to society and being angry at people, just, I wonder all the time, honestly, I'm like, are people good? Because I don't, I don't always see it. I don't know if it's because of where I live and there's a lot of racism. There's a lot of uh, entitlement and the, the whole me that is, you see more than others. And his book, Talking to Strangers, just really helped like peel that off and to remember what people are going through on an individual level and Mm -hmm. that people are inherently good. I don't know. It just, when you were talking about that, it reminded me of that. that And and that's, yeah, it's so true. We all have on board a whole bunch of thinking that in the moment, in the moment, this very moment we think is true. We look back at that thinking, especially for people that have broken the law or have hurt somebody they're in prison for it. And they're like, well, why would I believe that? You know, it's just thought. And that's the thing. And that's how this understanding of how we really work as a machine and a spiritual being covered by, you know, with, by a meat jacket, right? That essentially we know how it all works, but we just don't pay attention because we, again, we, you know, human beings love great drama. We love good soap mm-hmm. opera. Why do you think, you know, the guiding light and as the world turns have been on for 50, true story, 50 years. When I was little, you know, you know, when we're sick, you, you know, stay at home and mom's my mom would work half a day and then pick us up because she was a speech therapist for the Connecticut public schools at the time. And so she'd be watching the guiding light. I'm like, I, I came home to visit them uh, about a month or two ago. And my mom's 75. She's sitting on the couch watching the guiding light. Same <laughs> characters. We love human beings, love drama. We pay attention more to the Las Vegas Disney world fireworks than we do to the calm. We mm-hmm. think that's truth. And the calm is not, we have it backwards. And once we see that like a salad bar or like a great buffet, like at a Vegas hotel, or you have like the dessert section, the meat section, the fish section, the salad section, whatever section, the, to- the tofu section, the- you get the gist. Well, when we go to the buffet, we don't take 10 pieces of chocolate cake. It'd be nice, but we all end up um, having a tummy ache and probably some form of diabetes after a while. If we don't take 20 pieces of steak, we don't take 30 bananas. No, we have this thing called discernment. We have this, and that's what thought is. Like we thought, think of thought as like a salad bar of choice. Like you don't have to believe every thought that comes through your mind. Thought means nothing unless you give it life, right? And for me, once I saw like the trick the brain is playing innocently, that I do have some locus control over that, man. But again, I forget, like you forget. And my brain sometimes 
I look, I mean, I literally through the mind's eye, I'm like, Whoa, tiger, slow down, you crazy child. It's like that Billy Joel song, you know, Vienna. And it's okay. You know what the interesting thing is about being a neurodiverse person is that self-introspection once we kind of see it. Because we think differently, because we synapse at a different rate than, than a lot of people, we then can see like, okay, I see things how they're working, but it's not exactly truth. But I don't have to be afraid of my ADHD experience all the time. I don't have to be afraid of my anxiety all the time. And I think all those years being a little kid and a, and a teenager, being afraid of academics, being afraid of teachers really taught me that there's nothing to be afraid of. If you would like to contribute to this podcast, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the neurodivergent nurse, where you can get exclusive bonus episode, script of the show prior to the release, uncut video interviews of the guests, input on upcoming shows and ideas, and even more. Also, be sure to follow the neurodivergent nurse on Instagram and TikTok. And if you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to share it with someone that you think could also benefit from the neurodivergent nurse. And go ahead while you have time and while you're thinking about it and rate it and leave a review five stars on your favorite listening platform so that other people can find the show easily as well and i hope you have a wonderful week and i can't wait to talk to you again 